and the production designer, who was my guest, pointed out that that review is not in that book. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hi! And today we have special guests returning yes. after after many years. Many years. I don't know how many years it's been. But uh, we have Leonard Malton and his daughter, Jessie Malton. Yay! Here with us today. I'm just and so glad that we're not all sitting at a table together. <laughs> I know. We were sitting at a table the last time. You are correct. It's uh, lovely. Something. Yeah. Uh, Together, do- they're Malton on Movies, uh, yeah. which is a terrific podcast, by the way. It is, it is terrific. I think anybody who loves movies should listen to that because it's, you know, when you have somebody like Leonard Malton asking the questions, there is a... A, I don't know, there is so much history contained into that brain that uh, the questions are very informed and the podcast is very entertaining. And Jesse, you are a great, as you always call yourself, a sidekick. You are a great sidekick in this whole thing. You're the one who brings the the, the energy and the and the and the questions that maybe people don't want to be want to be asked. <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway, uh, how has things yeah, been going? Doesn't want to. <laughs> how have things been going on with you guys uh, during the uh, the COVID and the wildfires and all of that? How has that been going for you? Well, uh, the wildfires uh, have been very troubling because. Not only is it, is it just emotional and, and overwhelmingly sad, uh, the, the daily stories in the L.A. Times uh, of what's going on and what individuals and families and whole towns and, and animals and the animals. I can't. You know, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. Uh, and the physical aspect of that is that though we're not very close to geographically, most of those fires, uh, the the air uh, has has become foul and uh, smoky, hard to breathe. Uh, so what, ash uh, settling over everything. Everything. So what's been hard is that it's like so we're all already quarantined, and then now you get quarantined from the outside. Mm-hmm. So one, one last bit of like feeling almost like a person. Uh, and now you can't go outside to breathe and I can't take the dogs outside and stuff like that. That's, it's been really hard, but it Mm. does today. I have to say today is looking better than it has been. You can almost see the sky. And we do Uh, do things one day at a time. Yeah. That's a good mentality. As we're talking now today, it's not too terrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Previously, it was like the Matrix, right? Yeah. <laughs> Positivity. Today is less awful than it was yesterday. No, it's <laughs> better. And we are so lu- we're so lucky. We're so lucky in so many ways. But we're really, really lucky that we live in a house. Um, I was saying this to you guys before we started recording that uh, the fact that we all sort of have a place to be because we live together. 
my dad can be in his office and my mom can be in hers and I live in a cave and my husband has taken over the living room with a big TV so he can be playing Call of Duty all of the time. Mm. Uh, it sounds like a war zone. It's actually pretty funny. Um, but, actually, actually, yesterday was a big day for him. Oh, well, see, this is this tells you how much our lives have changed. My dad knows that there's a new version of a PlayStation coming out. was <laughs> <laughs> prior to my husband living uh, here? Only vague. No. And it's still vague. It's still vague. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because we the, the, the room that we use to go live on Sundays uh, is, is that room. And every now and then, depending on where we're sitting, you'll see some of my husband's stuff. So, like, he has a VR headset. He has a bunch of different controllers and people will see them and they'll say, oh my God, please tell me Leonard's a gamer. (laughs) (laughs) Gamer, I want that so much. I don't want to tell, I don't want to break their hearts. Sure, sure. Leonard is all about that, that live action role playing. I'm I'm a gamer if you include pinball. There you go. Hey, there's nothing wrong with pinball. Nothing at all. Yeah. I've been to the pinball museum in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, Oh, really? I didn't even know there was one. Well, there was that five years ago. I don't know if it's yeah. still there. Uh, a, a guy just, not much, not really much of a museum. The guy took over a warehouse and it is filled with dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of coin operated machines, mostly pinball, but also that uh, old fashioned bowling game where you slid a disc yeah. down a highly whacked, uh, uh, you know, you know how excited he gets. That's <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> have you guys been to san francisco have you visited mm. san francisco yes yep. mm-hmm. one of our favorite things there is the musée de mécanique oh uh, yeah and it's full of these old fantastic in some some cases games but also just music machines like automatons machines. and oh. it's so cool and nerdy and uh and yeah i think you learn everything you need to when you ask my family what our favorite thing is in san francisco and we're like well obviously it's the musée de mechanique <laughs> yeah right mm-hmm. you like the science center no no we just like to sit a warehouse playing games <laughs> well if it's still open the next time you guys come back to nashville there's a whole bar downtown that's dedicated to pinball um oh. and yeah, I think you even like pay like just a flat by the hour fee, and you can play all the machines that you want. Um, so we'll have to take you there and uh, <clears throat> play some pinball. Yeah. Now I don't mean to say that I'm good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it. Yes. Yes. That's, sounds like me in golf. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy playing it, but I'm not going to claim to be tour ready. <clears throat> Um, how has, uh, how, how has movie watching been? Uh, obviously nothing new except for Tenet, uh, coming out in the last five months or so. Um, have you guys seen anything, uh, via screeners or VOD or anything like that, that you would really recommend that has come out this year? Well, so my dad is, my dad's still teaching, my, you know, I'm he- still teaching my class at USC, uh, where we show new films and interviewed the filmmakers. And oh, nice. You ended your, so he ended last semester, March into April. Um, Netflix was very kind and made things very easy for the fellow who books the class. Uh, and so you, you must, I think like three or four like that. And then yeah. now 
The new semester started your four weeks in. Five weeks. Oh, geez. Time, guys. Where is <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so uh, uh, last week, we, we all watched Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending It All. Wow. Yep. Thinking of Ending Things, isn't it? That's, that sounds right. I've, I'm I've seen of that movie. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, well, that's an easily digestible film to go over yeah. in one class, right? No. My, my my mother said her favorite part was when it stopped. <laughs> that's that seems to be a a valid. It's a valid point. I yeah, think. That, that, Alice Malton, who always comes in with those succinct reviews, <laughs> and we had as our guest the uh, very talented production designer. And wow. uh, the animation producer who also worked on Anomalisa. Mm. Oh, and, nice! And so they were both good guests. Yeah. And uh, and your uh, first your first night of the semester back was Project Power, and oh. and we had Henry and Rel, Henry Juice and Ariel Schulman, who were in class ten years ago with Neve and Catfish. Oh, oh really? Wow. Oh wow! Yeah. That was that was that was a heck of a class that night. I mean that they really, uh, they came, they saw, they conquered. Yeah. <laughs> I have three hundred plus students normally, and uh, they just uh, Zoom is a whole other monster, yeah, as I'm sure you know. They just mm-hmm. slayed that audience. I mean, it played like gangbusters, and to have them all in person there yeah. afterwards was really cool. And they remembered that night, and so they actually all the filmmakers this semester have been very candid and open and uh, uh, fully engaged uh, via Zoom uh, with my students. So I'm the one who gets cheated uh, <laughs> from Zoom because I am now talking to a void. Mm. You know, Daddy, yeah. don't talk about kids like that. <laughs> <laughs> if, I make a, if I make a wisecrack, you know, uh, I can't hear any response. And even if That's the worst. Up, yeah. And, uh, I said my mom and I should just sit behind. So so we're right now, we're in my dad's office. And this is where he's usually doing stuff from. And I've got him this desk set up now so that everything can sit. Initially, we were doing like everybody else. It was like MacGyvered shoving a bunch of stuff. And finally, I said, you know what? You're a big boy. Let's get a desk <laughs> and make you feel like you actually are doing this in some way. It looks professional. Um, but uh, I said my mom and I should just sit behind it. And laugh, like give them a laugh track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> into nothing. Anyhow, anyhow, that that's been a little uh, uh, challenging, but when it comes time to the Q and A, uh, and my uh, teaching assistant uh, serves as moderator, they can raise their hands virtually. Mm. Oh. So one by one, he'll call on students, and then they come up full screen in their bedroom, in their kitchen, you know, in, in, uh, in, in the bathtub. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and not yet, but we can hope. Uh, <laughs> so they're, they're full screen. And then the filmmakers full screen. So they really are talking one-on-one and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a, it's a great uh, setup for a Q and a. And so that, that's been, that's been going very, very well. Yeah. In terms of stuff you've seen that's good, cricket, cricket. Yeah, cricket, not, not a lot, not a lot. Uh, um, I I liked uh, David Copperfield, the personal history yeah. of David Copperfield. Mm. Like Still I need to see that. 
Monica yeah. Bianucci's a, film. A movie that we have to recommend big time that's on Disney Plus is the documentary Howard. And we actually were putting the episode together, but what we did was we reached out to Don Hahn, who directed it, and he directed Waking Sleeping Beauty, also 10 years old now. Mm. Um, and it's a fantastic doc. Um, but this Don has been involved with the Disney studio since this early seventies. He was a kid. Oh, and, uh, so he really was a kid. He, he actually produced the Lion King. Wow. That'll that'll last a long time. And and so Mm -hmm. much more. So much more. And he's somebody. We did did an episode with him as well a little while ago. Don Hahn spelled H A H N. You can look him up. He's fantastic. And he's a great guy. And so he did this documentary on, about Howard Ashman, uh, the the highly creative, uh, brilliant. He's brilliant. Yeah, he was a brilliant guy. He he wrote he co-wrote uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh wow, yeah, the music. The music for Little Shop of Horrors, uh, and then what the legacy is is it's Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and Little Mermaid. He wrote much the heyday, right? No, 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 sure. Alan, with Alan Menken. Uh, yeah, that's right. And that was the team then. And this documentary, I mean, you learn you learn who the man was. It also gets into a bit to the AIDS, you know, epidemic in the mm-hmm. 80s, the 90s, and for someone like my dad, my dad's age, uh that is still very much alive. I'm sure for you guys too. Um, you know, that was a really scary time then. Obviously, you know, I, I was born in the eighties, so I don't have those memories. Mm. Um, but being in the arts, I am very much aware of what still happens and everything else. Uh, so I reached out to Don and I said, I would really love to do a podcast episode where we interview as many folks as we can, uh, from the doc so that we can sort of remember Howard, but also get the word out. Because it's sure. such a beautiful documentary, and Howard was an integral part, really, of of he he sort of gave he gave the Disney Studio its new template with the Little Mermaid. Uh, he brought the uh, the, the uh, foundation of a Broadway musical to animation. So mm. not just breaking into song for no apparent reason, but right. using the song like a musical does to get you from A to B, mm-hmm. you know? And so he said, no, we're not just going to have her sing about that. There has to be meaning behind it. Where are yeah. we going with this? And he, and they rode that wave for the next decade. To now. And They're still riding that right. wave. Right. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and he, and he really made that happen. Yeah. And he made that happen. Not to, it's not a spoiler alert, yeah. but he made that happen as he learned that he had AIDS. Mm. Oh, wow. And then was dying. And he died before he completed Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Um, He's been gone a long time, which is also really crazy to think. Time time just moves so fast. So we we talked to his life partner. We talked to his sister, his devoted sister. Uh, We talked to Alan Menken, of course. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Musical partner. Uh, we talked to Don Hahn, the producer and director of the film. And John Musker. And John Musker, the co-director of uh, all of almost all the and films. And everything named. that matters. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Paige O'Hara, who's this, the, voice of, the Belle. voice of Belle in Beauty of the Oh, wow. So we have a kind of a mosaic of, of uh, interviews and, 
remembrances. And, uh, and we hope that people hear it and learn more and want to watch the documentary. And also, uh, the main thing that each one of them said, I, I, what I kept asking was I kept saying, what do you hope people take away? Which is not a unique question, but that to me was the most like, what, what are you hoping? And each one said they just hope that his legacy, that his name, uh, uh, you know, people know who he was and what he did. And, you know, for any one of us, that's that's the hope. You know, you hope sure. that what you're doing has some lasting power. And for him, I mean, if you think this is what's so crazy, if you think about it to this day, those three are still some of the most popular films Disney has ever made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they've had an, uh, yet another life on stage. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then the remakes, right? And then the uh, live action <laughs> reproduction. Get out. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so the documentary is called Howard, and it's on Disney Plus. Disney Plus. It's on Disney Plus. Yep. It is. It's very really good. Very good. All on Disney Plus is uh, they've sort of reissued for Disney Plus uh, the Waking Sleeping Beauty, which mm-hmm. is about the Disney Renaissance. Hmm. And, uh, and also by Don. If you guys watched any of Leslie Iwerks uh, documentary series. All about Imagineering on Disney Plus. The effect that Leslie has is the same one that Don has, which is to say people feel safe. Mm. Um, They know they know exactly what the person is trying to do. They know the motive (laughs) and they're very happy to speak and and speak openly you know, there isn't any of that. Oh God, what if they misquote or what, you know, what do you really want out of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why people were so blown away by the Imagineering series because they've never pulled the curtain back quite like that. <laughs> yeah. It's always fascinating to see these uh, behind the scenes, Disney things. Like, I mean, just even the stuff where they're talking about how they, uh, uh, they invented that multi-plane uh, oh, yeah. technology the for the animations back in the day. All that's really great. Um, just, yeah, I can get all into that. And I love the, just, I love being, I love a whole uh, subject about someone that you don't know, really. Like if you say Aladdin or whatever, you're not going to come up with this guy's name. You're, yeah. you know, you know, unfortunately, but he's the one of the driving forces behind the reason you like that movie. Yeah. In a huge way. And, and they also include, they include some, uh, uh, audio of him singing the songs Mm. and him singing part of your world is one of the sweetest things I've ever heard. Mm. Um, And and again, when you realize the backstory, what do, what do we all love about good documentaries? You come away with an understanding, like you're saying you meet someone that you didn't know. And by the end of it, you're like, I love you. Uh, Let's be best Mm. friends. (laughs) The appreciation for the fact that he was writing stuff like that when he was dealing with being sick and he didn't tell anyone. This is a big part of the doc is that he did not tell anyone except the immediate, immediate family that he was sick. So yeah. did not, and the man at a certain point was dying and there didn't tell anyone for the long time. Mm. But you know, when he's singing a song like part of your world and he's talking about what being gay meant and all mm. the other, you're just like, Oh my God. Uh, this this song mm-hmm. that I already love because I'm prime Little Mermaid age. Mm-hmm. Uh, this song I already love. It just took on this whole new meaning, and that's such a. As I say, that's what a good documentary does. Yeah, 
you know, <laughs> randomly, uh, you, you know, you're bringing up your age and I, and I was, uh, was listening to the Julie Haggerty interview that you guys did. And I, I love Julie Haggerty so much. <laughs> I think I like every time I've ever heard people talk about her, they talk about how sweet she is. And of course that comes through on this interview. Uh, but, uh, you, you were talking about Wallace Shawn and you were like, well, for my generation, Wallace Shawn, I was like, yeah, Princess Bride, right? Princess Bride. And then you were like, no, clueless. (laughs) 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 It's true. Both. Yeah. Both are entirely valid things. It's the kind of thing where like, I think, as I say, depending, so I'm 34. Depending depending on who you ask and what you imagine first, one hundred percent, Princess Bride is. I mean, it will never die. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those movies, but Clueless because it's such a it's such an endearing character. I think that's the difference. Is in Clueless, he's adorable. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. You know, mm-hmm. he's just, yeah, and well, him, he's... yeah, him and and uh, what's her name? And Clueless, I, I forget. It's not. If this yeah. uh, quarantine is not Twink Captain. <laughs> Oh, Jude. Oh, Hi, yes. Jude. Here comes our, our wheezing Hi, dog. <laughs> God, is he okay? We, wheezing dog was the name of my band in middle school. We have, we have collapsed trachea. Not that you asked. Oh, oh no. God. Yeah. She, she's 14 and uh, <laughs> Jude. Poor guy. Thank you for joining us. All America thanks you. <laughs> Coming in here. I'm not, I hate to laugh at her pain, but oh, no, 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 it's... no, please, we're so over it. <laughs> there you go. Well, she brings something on herself because she learned attention. That she, she actually gets attention from So sometimes when she's hungry. You just start hearing this, and she's like, eh, I'm dying. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're on to you, dog. Sounds about right. <laughs> we're trying to distract and occupy her. So we, so this fucking dog. <laughs> oh, that poor thing. Wallace Shawn, though, has so many credits. You know, you know, for some people, they'll say Toy Story. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. First association. Also uh, a goofy movie. And, and right <laughs> now he's on Young Sheldon, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's no escaping Wallace Shawn. That's true. And he has another entire career as a playwright, as a quite serious uh, New York playwright. Oh, anyway, so now we can get back to talking without being... <laughs> Mildly distracted. <laughs> I was uh, I was thinking that I, I knew Wallace Shawn must from my dinner with Andre. Oh sure, oh, yeah, of course. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I did want to ask you, uh, Leonard, and specifically specifically, what is the last movie that you saw in a theater, and and have you been in a theater anytime recently? No, uh, I know exactly yeah. when it was uh, March fourteenth. Uh, because that was a Saturday. The 15th is our wedding anniversary. That's how I can uh-huh. remember. Oh. The night of the 15th, we had our final, well, for now, our, our last uh, restaurant dinner out, mm. you know, in a normal restaurant we inside. Were, we were out 
for their anniversary, which is March, March 15th, and it was a Sunday. We went to Ruth's Chris, and at the end of dinner, the nice waiter said that you guys, everybody here is actually the last, uh, the last of the customers because we're closing after wow. you. That's it. So. And the wow. day before, we went to a local art theater to see a film that uh, uh, Kenny Turan had recommended in the L.A. Times. Hi, Mom. Uh, Mom's come to take Jude. <laughs> 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 my mother has come to get Jude. I've heard about this mother so many times. She needs to make an appearance. <laughs> I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn this. Hello, Mrs. Malton. (laughs) I'm looking as good as I can look, right? You look beautiful. (laughs) You look great. She's wearing her Acapulco onesie. Nice. Carry on. (laughs) Thank you, Mama. You're welcome. So anyway, the last film we saw was a German film called Balloon. Hmm. Uh, Not a very highly publicized American release of a film based on a true story uh, set in 1979 when this family actually patched together and flew a hot air balloon from East Germany to the freedom of of West Germany. Wow. And and it was an interesting film. And it was, as I say, a little art theater uh, uh, not far from us in the San Fernando Valley. So they were already... Uh, capping their capacity at fifty percent, but there were only twelve people there anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. Our last film in the theater was Bloodshot. Yes. so I'm jealous. Oh, yeah. the, Vin, the Vin Diesel classic. <laughs> although, classic. one of our favorite terms, instant classic. Yeah, it was an instant classic. classic. Although I did uh, stupidly or not brave theaters to watch Tenet uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Hey. So. If you- my feeling with all of this is if you feel safe, if you go in, but this is true literally of everything right now. If you mm-hmm. walk into a store and you feel safe in the store, then by all means, if you, wherever you are, if you're at a restaurant, we, we've eaten a cu- out a couple of times um, in the outdoor situation. Outdoor that we've patios going. and you know, backyard um, type type thing. And again, it's like, if you're comfortable, then do it. So if you went into that movie theater and it felt safe for you, then that's great. I mean, nothing really feels safe at all. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you know that that this this felt about ninety percent safe. Which, that's you know, do you want to gamble with the ten percent? You know, that's what that's yeah. the thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it seems like the uh, box office returns, at least here in the United States, have uh, made the studios a little bit shy about coming out with uh, their new stuff. And they're pushing it to Christmas, but I don't know what's going to change in three uh, I, months. I think that's uh, what we'll call a stopgap measure. Mm. If I, you know, if I were, and I don't have a crystal ball, goodness knows, but if I were having to make that impossibly difficult decision now, I would just put a big X through the rest of this year, this calendar year, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, and look to 2021. And we don't know how far into no. 2021 to look. But something we've talked about a lot is what bugs me. So we're definitely like silver lining, try to find the good stuff. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. our answer. Um, and so for me, what I would really love is if people started to realize that spending $200 million on a movie 
is not an acceptable budget. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. And I remember, I mean, I remember as a kid when Jim Carrey first started getting $20 million a movie. And I said to my parents at the time, what even is $20 million? <laughs> mm-hmm, right. How, and how can anyone be worth, like, it's insane. It's insane to me. Um, and obviously, so we've watched these sort of, these numbers grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And at a certain point, you have to say, this is obscene. Mm-hmm. It's obscene. And, and the, the thing is, it's not that you're, what bothers me about this, it's not that you're so worried about people watching it at home because it's not the right experience. You need to make your money back. So yeah. don't, don't lie and say, oh, it's for the art of cinema. You, know? <laughs> you want to make your money back because that's the only reason they let you spend $200 million is because yeah. they figured they'd make it back. I don't see... I don't see how we ever go back to that anytime soon. I feel like this is going to have lasting implications. No matter when we get a a vaccine and and we're all back out there, they're going to be a lot more cautious about throwing $200 into a film uh, when another pandemic might be around the corner. But but even without, it's just, it's a ridiculous place that we've gotten to. And I mean, can you imagine... Imagine when you were growing up, if someone told you that a movie was two hundred million dollars, well, you'd say, "Are you? You're a crazy person." Well, there's always been the equivalent of that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But, but the, what, one of the best films I did see earlier this year, before things all, all uh, you know, came crashing down, uh, was a movie called First Cow. Oh, yes, <laughs> I have heard this by yeah. a filmmaker I like called Kelly Reichert. And we thought in Telluride, it was in Telluride last year. Yeah. That's when it was first starting to make the rounds. And uh, she came to my class at USC uh, when we were still doing it in person uh, in February. And uh, my students, to their great surprise, really <laughs> liked the film. Because it, it's, it's uh, like all of her films, it's very slow. Yes. And very understated. Yes. <laughs> highly, but highly original. Yes, and, uh, and they uh, they found themselves warming to it, uh, you know. And I liked her films, uh, uh, Wendy and Lucy, with Michelle Williams, mm. and uh, Michelle was also in the Meeks Cutoff. These are all uppers, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Happy go lucky films, left and right. The <laughs> only one I've seen of hers is Old Joy. Yeah. And uh, I was not a fan of that, but maybe you could convince me that it's good. I don't know. I was I was very bored on it. Yeah, Old Joy is not one of my favorites, but it, it uh, if you try if you try Wendy and Lucy or you try Meek's Cutoff, Meek's Cutoff is about pioneers out uh out west uh and they they in order to make it the whole cast attended pioneer camp oh wow to learn how to you know lead an ox you know along the path (laughs) i mean to get accustomed to the to the clothing to the to the posture you know to the body language Mm -hmm. oh wow you know to, to really immerse themselves in another place and time what is ox boot camp like i can't imagine what do you first first cow is such a fascinating movie because you're right it it's it's methodical it's uh i i love 
auteurs like Jim Jarmish or obviously Stanley Kubrick or you know th- things that are methodical uh but there's not a lot going on in that movie and there's a lot of space to interject your own feelings, but you also will be hungry by the end of it. You want some of those fried pies <laughs> that, yeah. uh, truffle or whatever he made for the, uh, the, uh, yeah. uh, the, um, noble in the estate, but it's such a perplexing movie. I, I found myself loving how it looked and mm. the, the space in between it. You're right. It's a totally unique movie. It, didn't quite click with me, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So I, you know, that, you know, that, that film gave me some rewards. You know, I don't mind, uh, uh, I don't mind having to work a little harder if I feel rewarded at the end of the, of the, mm. the journey. Now, Charlie Kaufman's film uh, did not make me feel that way. It just, <laughs> it just pissed me off. And bored me to tears. Oh my God, that movie! I had a feeling about halfway through that he was just jerking us around. Mm. You know, uh, uh, it's it, you know, one of my students. We were discussing it last night. One of my students said, "You know, what is the point of watching a film where you know he's making references to things that you have no knowledge of, and you're going to have to go home and look up?" And uh, you might not understand you know, what he's doing and why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we are not fans of art for art's sake. Oh. Yeah, it's one of those movies that by the end of it, you're like, am I dumb? I don't know if I'm <laughs> dumb or not. I can't well, figure it out if I'm dumb. Well, it's interesting. You know, uh, it seems like he's gotten further and further into this, you know, uh, Eternal Spun- Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one thing, and then you move into adaptation, and then you move into uh, Anomalisa. Right, right, right. Insane. I love it. I'm a fan of being John Malkovich. Yeah. Right. So I I don't dislike everything he does, not not by a long shot. But this one was just, it just was too much. I mean, just as a, for instance, and this is not not, not a spoiler, at least I don't think it is. Or can you spoil a movie that, never mind. But at one point, uh, uh, the guy and the girl, uh, he has a name. She does not, although her name keeps changing as the movie goes on. Uh, he mentions John Cassavetti's movie, Woman Under the Influence, with Jenna Rowlands. Mm-hmm. He begins quoting word for word a, a, a negative review of that movie written by Pauline Kael. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. And later, when you go to his house, he's taking her home to meet his parents. And when you go upstairs to his childhood room, there is on on lying on top of a bookshelf an enormous uh, uh, volume of Pauline Kale reviews. <laughs> and and the production designer, who was my guest, pointed out that that review is not in that book. <laughs> that's just perverse. <laughs> to, to, to mention Pauline Kale, to then show a book of Pauline Kale, but, but no, no, don't have that review in the book. We're never going to look inside that book. We're never going to know one way or the other. And also, for some of my students who are all 20 somethings, not all of them are familiar with who Pauline Kale is. Mm-hmm. For a film buff, she's uh, something of a, a goddess. 
mm-hmm. you know, and one of the most influential film critics ever of, of the 20th century, <laughs> but not in the year 2020, not a household name for people who are not, uh, you know, uh, movie centric. We've told people to go and seek out a lot of her reviews. We, um, we once read uh, her review. I believe it was the towering Inferno is the one that uh, we read out on the podcast one time, just hilarious all the way through it. Um, just how, just how just, she just wants to dig into this movie so much and just like poke at it and poke at it. It's so great. Um, dogmatic writer, uh, you know, she, when you read one of her reviews, uh, you not only felt sometimes lectured, like you've been, you know, you've been, you, you've been told uh, <laughs> what to think, but uh, there's no room for argument. There's no room for disagreement at all. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, take that, take that. He <laughs> could be brilliant. Yeah, um, sounds like my father. <laughs> yeah. By the way, by the way there, there was a very good documentary about Pauline Kale that came out last year, uh, worth seeking out online. Uh, if you're looking for, if you like documentaries and you're at all curious about Pauline Kale, it's a very good film. Yeah. Is it, is it, what is it, does it have a special name or is it just, not a special name, just the name I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I may have actually caught a little bit of this. Yeah, I'd love to see this. Actually. Is it what she said? The art of yes. Pauline King? Yes, well done. Uh, nice. He's got the fast <laughs> Google very well. <laughs> I, I watch a lot. When I've gotten into our, a lot of series that I didn't watch when they were happening, just because I now have time to mm-hmm. <laughs> have that fun stuff. You know, normally when someone's like, oh, there's, tw- there's 12 seasons, you go, uh, so that'll be seven years. Yeah. <laughs> right now, you say, oh, that's, uh, that's just my weekend. I can do that. Well, you guys uh, probably have some sort of connection to this, uh, just emotionally. Have you seen the documentary uh, Showbiz Kids? Yeah, I did. I did. It's really lovely. That's the one um, with Alex Winter uh-huh. that, that people were really – and it's made, on – Made by Alex Winter. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. on – I think it's – I think it, you can watch it on Showtime, I want to say. It's, it's HBO. No, yeah. it's thank you. It's <clears> one of them. Um, and it's been on a lot and so people can catch that pretty easily. Um, it was really lovely and, and it was nice to see something, uh, it was nice to see something that wasn't just like, if you were a child actor, it's all over. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's true. What have you watched? What have you watched that you guys have liked? Uh, I watched the leftovers. I had not seen, uh, any of that series, um, during its run and I really enjoyed running through that. Um, Watchmen series was really good. Um, I think one that we all watched and, and really enjoyed, it may be my favorite movie of the year is Palm Springs. Oh yeah. Oh, I like Palm Springs. I, I, I see the, I see the reaction here. What is it? <laughs> he didn't see it. I, okay. I have a theory. First uh-huh. of all, the director, uh, his parents are very, very much involved in the Santa Barbara film festival. And oh. they are, uh, they're patrons of the arts. And, uh, and so when I saw them at the Santa Barbara film festival in January, his mom said to me, uh, Oh, they're, they're, they're going to Sundance in a week and it's very exciting. And if you see him, you know, say hi, all that kind of like perfect parent pride (laughs) thing. 
Um, and, and people started watching it and they really liked it. And then I finally got to see it. And my husband and I watched it together. And when it ended, we both said the same thing compared to the crap we've been watching. This is good. Um, <laughs> a lot of really, like I got in a bunch of screeners in a row that each one was worse than the next. Um, my feeling with that movie is that because there's been so little out that's been good, we're just really excited about something that we like. Yeah, um, it could be. Yeah, definitely one of those mm. movies where you you can't you can't start to talk about the plot holes and things like that because it will fall right apart. <laughs> uh, but uh, but in something that's different and something that's interesting, you can get into it. That's mm. the way I feel about Bill and Ted Face the Music. By the way, <laughs> I feel like that's the movie that people are giving a pass yeah. because they haven't seen anything like you know all uplifting and fun and all that. And, uh, you know, the movie is perfectly fine. I don't mean to, I don't, I don't even really want to disparage the movie at all. It's just that, you know, it's like an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's too high. Sorry. It is. (laughs) Well, and we felt the same way about Wonder Woman, at least in regards to like, you know, it was the first really good DC movie in a long time. And so everybody was like, oh, it's the best thing ever. And then when you get that Blu-ray and you watch it a second time, you're like, it's yeah. good, when, but it's when not. When the movie ended, we we saw it. We were at Warner Brothers, and my husband my, my husband is very useful um, because he's a comic book nerd, and yeah. that is one area that we are not super familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is incredibly useful to have him there because he. I know that if he likes something or doesn't like something, that represents a lot of that audience. Sure. So when my dad then writes a review, he can say, but I'm pretty sure people, you know, but if you are a fan, you will like it. Mm-hmm. And because my dad is someone who, you know, this, he doesn't like to pick things apart. He doesn't like to be mean. Um, but if he doesn't like it, he's going to be honest. Uh, but I think that it's, uh, I think that it's very useful to be able to say in your review, I wasn't a fan, but I'm sure that DC, that if you are, you'll like it. So Wonder Woman ends and we look at each other, my dad and I, my husband's on one side and my dad's on the other. And I look at my dad and we both just go, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, I am bored out of my mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I like the first hour of it yeah. so much. Same. Yes. Yes. Same. Yep. Same thing. What a great mm-hmm. setup, you know, yep. uh, the island with the warrior queens and they had everything going for it and then they they dropped the ball in my opinion they, they mm-hmm. dropped the ball. but husband really liked it there you go there you go when i turned to him and i said <laughs> and he goes oh, I, I thought it was good I'm like oh there you go well, yeah. sounds so exactly like-, like him too <laughs> I can't get the Manchester accent. I dare not screw it up. But uh, uh, it was just so funny because my dad and I both went, "You really? You liked it? Are you sure?" And, yeah, are you sure? Uh, but, but that, so when you wrote the yeah. review, he mentioned it. He said, "You know, but my son-in-law, who's really into this, I'm sure it's going to be, you know." And, and there you look, go. Gal Gadot, she's stunning. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous how attractive she is. Sure. I'll watch anything with Chris Pine in it. Yeah. Uh, I love him. A bunch of good people. It's so many. Dan, Danny, Danny, Houston. Danny Houston. It's a bunch of really good people. There's nothing. Uh, it's, just, just, it's just so boring. I learned, I learned something. I learned a life lesson. 
which is to say a lesson that has, has uh, repaid me many times over. When I was very, very young, uh, I used to contribute to a uh, somewhat threadbare trade magazine, movie trade magazine in New York. The big trades are Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. But there used to be about a half dozen others, uh, you know, medium uh, significance. And one of them was called Greater Amusements. And I met the editor who took up shine to me. And I, I was like 18 years old. And uh, I did all sorts of odds and ends for, for, for his publication. Uh, and one week he had me sub for one of the, for his principal reviewer. And I think I saw seven movies that week. And it's wow. I've ever done that. Uh, I, you know, and not seven movies I chose to see. Mm-hmm. Seven <laughs> movies I was assigned to see that I was ordered. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this was in New York. And so, uh, you know, I saw the same guys, mostly men, actually, the same guys at every screening. You know, the guy from Variety, the guy from The Hollywood Reporter, the guy from this journal, from that newspaper from that magazine uh, some for consumer you know publications as well as industry publications and by the time we got to the fifth move everything we saw was either terrible or mediocre <laughs> uh, mm. and by the time we got to like thursday of that week and we saw like the fifth or sixth film and it was pretty good we all said, hey, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, it was a rebound reaction. Right. It was compared to all this other stuff. Yeah. This is really good. But in reality, it isn't that good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I've learned to try to gauge my, uh, uh, my response, sometimes based on that. Also, I tell my class all the time, um, Everything has to do with your expectation level. If you have high expectations, uh, then a film can either meet them or let you down. But if you have no or low expectations, then even a pretty good film can meet or exceed them. Mm -hmm. Which is why I try very, very hard to go into a film knowing nothing. Yeah, I'm the guy who won't watch trailers. (laughs) yep we know we know somebody (laughs) if i go to my neighborhood multiplex sometimes uh just catch up with a film that i haven't reviewed on opening day and uh and they're starting to show trailers and i get a sense that they're going to give away things i don't want to know i will actually put my head down close my eyes put my hands over my ears and even hum I, mean, I think he's super special. <laughs> I, mean, I just don't want to know who survives that explosion. Yeah. I don't want to hear the funny lines. But hang on. Can mm. we just talk about for a second the fact that a record scratch still exists in yep. trailer? Yep. Sure <laughs> yeah. Sure does. Yeah. Sure does. Bob Schneider is a stapler. Yeah. <laughs> he's about to find out. Yeah, <laughs> oh, God. Now, you, you mentioned Bill and Ted, which puts me in mind of the fact that last year, uh, right about now, right about now at Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas, which is going to have a virtual Fantastic Fest this year, of course, yeah. we got to interview William Sadler. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. Uh, 
and we had such a good time with him. He is. And he, he of course, he's been in all three Bill and Ted movies. Not his, not his uh, uh, peak of his thespian efforts. Right. <laughs> but he, he does the job, and he does it well, as he always does. He's Grim Reaper. Oh, yes. Grim Reaper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But you know he's he he was in the Shawshank Redemption. He was in Die Hard too. He's been in so uh, much. I mean, hey, Cruel Intentions, not Cruel Intentions. I remember but, but it, I, I, something behavior. Disturbing oh, behavior. Thank you, disturbing behavior. Yes, I I had uh, the only experience I had had with uh, seeing William Sadler outside of uh, of a movie role was when Project Greenlight on HBO was doing um what movie was this it was the uh, it was at the Battle of Shaker Heights or yeah. I can't remember which one it was and they and they they're talking to William Sadler and I was like this guy is too damn serious about his job. So now that I keep hearing that he's such a great person on the outside, I'm like, he must have really had a bad experience on Battle of Shaker Heights. Because well, no, he's very he he's extremely thoughtful. He's mm -hmm. he's a theater guy. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I don't know if you remember, but a few months ago, uh, remember when quarantine was still fun? No, yeah. Uh, <laughs> There was a lot of, in, in into like April May people were trying to do uh, uh, like chains of stuff, uh, <clears throat> including reading a Shakespearean sonnet, mm. which became a sonnet of your choice. And actors uh, would just post uh, themselves doing a sonnet, and it was so much fun. And mm. they, and they were having a blast. Like that was the thing. It was something that you could say. Hey, so-and-so, you should do this. Hey, so-and-so, you should do this. And you had some of the best of the best doing these, these monologues and sonnets. And it was just, it was fantastic. And William Sadler, because he is one of those theater guys, did several. And they are so beautiful. Oh, yeah? He, he well, knocks great, your socks off. Great language, beautifully spoken, deeply felt. And but it, you know, and, and because they're you're holding your phone, many people just held their phone and did it. It's really close up, mm. so it feels it feels extremely intimate. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and again, because people were just choosing what they love, you were also sort of getting a window into something that inspired them. So, as I say, for all these different actors to go on and do this. I'm trying to remember the hashtag was something like sonnet. I can't remember, but uh, it, it went everywhere. And I loved that. I thought it was such a neat thing for people to be sharing art. Uh, uh, and, and as I say, you just kind of got a glimpse into the, the real person mm -hmm. and what inspires them. And that was so neat. When Peter, yeah, that is cool. Peter O'Toole uh, died several years ago, a little more than several years ago. Uh, NPR rebroadcast an interview they had done with him where in which he he wasn't boasting he i think the 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 host of the show knew this and was kind of prodding him gently he memorized all of shakespeare's sonnets wow, wow. oh wow he had committed them all to memory and and uh and then performed uh one or two of his favorites i'm sure if you go to npr and uh, search Peter O'Toole, you'll, you'll find this. And it's worth finding. Yeah. Because we, we live in, a, in an age of visual stimulus. And sometimes just hearing, you know, somebody as gifted as he was 
make love to the language mm. is is a treat. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely want to listen to that. But I was I was trying to come up with my next question, and I have two that keep uh, rotating around in my head, and I don't know which one. Ask them both. Um. I'll I'll ask the least complex one first. Uh, I love listening to you guys' podcast mainly just because there's so many juxtapositions and things that I will I will pick up on and everything. And I thought the the one that was uh, the Leonard Malton Day one that you guys did uh, was uh, was fun to listen to because we get to you know hear you know what's your favorite this and what's your what's you know you have all, all this history of movies and everything, but. The, the the funnest juxtaposition in that one was that you were asked who your favorite actress was, and you said Meryl Streep. There was a pause there, but you said Meryl Streep. And then you were asked what your favorite interview was, and you said Catherine Hepburn. And I was immediately brought to, I immediately brought to mind that Catherine Hepburn was not a fan of Meryl Streep <laughs> at all. And I was wondering what you had what your thoughts on that were. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure I knew that. So you're, you're oh. giving me new information. Or if I knew there it, you go. I've forgotten it. Uh, okay. Uh, well, you know, Catherine Hepburn uh, was not everybody's cup of tea. She is a very mm-hmm. mannered actress. Uh, and that's why she was an unlikely success story in Hollywood, because she was uh, such a uh, an individual you know, an mm. odd voice, somewhat unconventional looks, uh, and um, and she she marched to her own drummer. Yeah, and, and so uh, I'm not shocked that that she uh, felt that way, or at least said she felt that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was wow, a, we've, yeah, I'm sorry. We've just mentioned half the cast of The Lion in Winter, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Should we throw in Anthony Hopkins? And- yeah. Yes. But no, the uh the 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 story goes that somebody asked her what she thought about Meryl Streep and she said that you can see the mechanics of her acting on screen and that you can see the click 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 going on in her head. Uh, was the quote, but I, I assumed that that had come up because I think you said you had interviewed her four times and, uh, and you had known that, but, uh, maybe, maybe that's just a legend. Maybe that didn't actually happen. Uh, I do remember trying to get her to comment on contemporary, uh, performers, male and female, and without much success, uh, she said, and, and it may well have been true, uh, I said, uh, you know, who do you admire? Who do you follow or like? And she she just couldn't pull a name out of out of the air. So, mm. uh, but but then you know that happens. So that yeah, may, may have just been the way it was. <laughs> yeah, your first and by definition, by your definition, more complex question. Um, I was uh, when when you were asked what your favorite movie was, you said Casablanca, which. I'm happy that you said that because it seems like everybody wants to revert to Citizen Kane. And hey, Citizen Kane is great, but I I, I prefer the Casablanca fans of the world who like that better. Um, but I was also thinking there are, it seems like when you ask any critic, it's going to be Citizen Kane or Casablanca or, you know, something like that back in the old days. And I was wondering, 
Were movies better because of the Hayes Code or despite the Hayes Code? Um, I think despite, on the mm-hmm. whole, on the whole, it forced uh, writers and directors, and especially writers, uh, and I include uh, writers who then became their own directors, like Preston Sturges and Billy Wilder, to name two very prominent examples. It forced them to find creative ways to get across what they wanted to dramatically, to uh, to inject uh, sexual tension and uh, an, an adult, intelligent adult romance and uh, other things that you would have thought impossible to do under the Hayes Code, uh, they managed to do. I just recently revisited uh, Preston Sturges' The Lady Eve uh, because uh, I participated in a Zoom roundtable that's now on the Criterion disc released of The Lady Eve. Oh, wow. Andrew Stanwyck and Henry Fonda. And um, I just loved watching it again. My, my wife and I both, we fell in love with that movie for, as if we'd never seen it before. And uh, it is brilliant. It is hilarious, and it is brilliant. And uh, I defy you to find uh, a film to, to match or equal it uh, made in the past 35 years. And that's mm. not it's old versus new. It's nothing to do with that. It's, right. it's just brilliance by any standard, by any measure. And, uh, and, and uh, Sturgis, it's a sexy movie. And it's a very uh, uh, complicated and uh, uh, hilariously complicated relationship that the Fonda character has with, with Stanwyck, who manipulates him every step of the way. And uh, if you don't understand that uh, movies of the 30s and especially 40s, drifting into the 50s, were female-dominated, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, then you ought to look at the Lady Eve and, uh, and see what you're missing. It's uh, it's got to be a testament to a movie to make you feel like it's the like the first time you've ever watched it before. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's uh, um, I I personally do need to see that movie. I think I've only seen one Sturgis film. I think it was Sullivan's Travel. So well, that's a great movie um, too. yeah, so uh, so yeah, I definitely needed to watch that. But uh, I, I, know, I was by Tom Sturgis, Preston's son if I would participate in it and as I say, a, a group a chat about it uh, on Zoom with uh, Kenny Turan, the recently retired uh, LA Times senior film critic, and Susan King, longtime columnist for the Los Angeles Times, and James L. Brooks. Oh, wow. Ooh. Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah. Ooh. And Ron Shelton. Uh, nice. So, you know, and I said, uh, sign me up. <laughs> and, and we all had the best time because we all had just watched it again to refresh our memories. And we were having such a ball talking about this wonderful movie. And they, uh, they barely edited it. I mean, it uh, runs about 45 minutes. Yeah. And, you uh, can tell that they're all having a blast. That's mm-hmm. the Oh, yeah. You can tell that they're that all awesome. enjoying themselves so much. Well, we said we'd do an hour, and I think we've hit that uh, that point, and I, we don't want to encroach any more on your time. But, man, thank 
you guys so much for coming on here. It is always a wonderful time to talk to you guys. Yes, it is. Yeah, we miss you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're once once this uh, you know whatever whenever it happens, we need we need to have a a big dinner and we and need hugs. to watch and hugs and we need to watch movies and regale all the rest of it, man. Yeah, um, so. we could we could come over one night and just watch TCM for you know a few few hours, maybe you know. I mean, that's basically, what mm-hmm. my parents are doing every day. So you can <laughs> anytime you want. Yeah, that does become my, wrong with my default channel uh, as I'm trying to wind down for the day, and something like uh, you know, singing in the rain is on there, or uh, cat on a hot tent roof, or something like. Mm-hmm. Talk about mitigating some some issues in cat on a hot no tent roof <laughs> with with great writing. We mm-hmm. just uh, we just interviewed Matthew Modine because ah. uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket is coming out in 4K and. It's a whole big thing, and and he has created an app uh, that's like it's diary his diary basically while it's they were his, filming. His, he kept a literal and a photographic diary. Uh, of the I've read that. Yeah. I've read that book. Um, the I don't know if it's he's he's done something new with it, but well, I think uh, he worked with someone, um, and so the way that the photos are in there, I guess they're really just bringing them to life. Um, mm. But we just, oh. and so my dad, my dad wanted to brush up on the film. So he wanted, mm-hmm. he watched a bit of it with my mom. And my mom was so upset after an oh, hour no. of watching that. My dad said, but it's okay. I fixed it because I put TCM on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. William Powell and Ginger Rogers, star of Midnight. Ah, there you go. Uh-huh. A palate um, cleanser. <laughs> hey, Leonard, I'm sorry. Can I, can I just ask you real quick about that movie? It's obviously a tale of two movies, right? Full Metal Jacket. Do you feel like the the second part justifies the greatest the greatness of that first part? I only revisited the first <laughs> hour the other night. No, I'll, I'm being honest. I know. With no, I understand that. I haven't seen it in years. Mm-hmm. So, so to to be honest and fair, I would have to watch the whole thing again to give you mm-hmm. a, a solid answer to your your. your question which is a pertinent question and uh well i, I mean know. when when people talk about that movie they talk about that first section i mean after after pile does his his thing uh with joker in the in the room it does move into joker's story to, yeah. to matthew modine's story but uh but yeah i've always had such a mental uh, cognitive dissonance with that movie because i think yeah. i love it and there are times where i talk myself into that second part as being just as brilliant as the first one. But sometimes I'm like, ah, I don't understand this. Sorry, that's a complete derailment. No, no. <laughs> I think one of the first things you get asked a lot by people is, have your opinions changed about any films? And I think that if you say no, you're you're lazy. Because yeah. the reality is we all change. We so <laughs> We change. The world changes. Uh, uh, our awareness of things yeah. changes and expands, and uh, and and the movies that come out now cover some of the same territory that films we saw ten, twenty, thirty years ago uh, deal with, and so that also changes your perspective on that older film when you go to revisit it. Yeah. 
has. So there's mm-hmm. all sorts of reasons that your opinion will change. I had a fun, so last night, uh, uh, comfort food movies, um, my husband and I were watching Shaun of the Dead. Sure. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He does quote the entire thing as we watch it. Um, and uh, he's very lucky that he's still alive. Um, with with the proper accent, too, right? Absolutely. He does. But so I, there were so many lines in it, though, where I, because because people are more sensitive now, but also more aware, uh, as we're watching it, I'm going, oh, crap. I don't think you'd say be able to say this or this. Or this, yeah, 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 yeah. or this, or this. Now, I, I'm someone where I just, I'm just not very sensitive, and I tend to take things, you know, as they are. I don't try to give things deeper meaning when they don't have deeper meaning. Um, but also, I, I, I just think, I guess, in part because, again, the whole thing with age. But like, there's certain jokes that are funny because they're jokes I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And there are things that so when someone says something and says it in a certain way, it's funny. Uh, a, a, a really simple one is just that, you know, anytime, anytime that Simon Pegg says something like lovey dovey to Nick Frost, he just goes gay. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> because that was something, of course, that was, that was something that we do. My husband, even now, sometimes when I say I love you, he goes gay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's like, I would never want to hurt anybody's feelings. I would never want someone to feel like they were, but it is like, but it's, oh God, it's so funny. (laughs) And and this is, you know, but this is something where I said, God, I don't know what would happen if you played it now. And if people would get angry or if they'd be willing to just sort of accept it, it is what it is. We were not as sensitive then. And, and, you know, and I'm sure, you know, and you're right. He's a smart guy. And I'm sure that he would say, you know, uh, I would change X, Y, Z, but they're such good mm-hmm. movies. The, the, the number of movies that will suffer now uh, because of our heightened awareness and, uh, and consciousness of, uh, of women in society and women and men and their ongoing relationships and uh, sexuality, uh, and uh, all of the, the then the, the the usual taboos about uh, racial and ethnic uh, humor. Uh, it's going to take uh, it's going to take a huge team of people to comb through the inventory yeah. of old movies, and I don't mean mm-hmm. very old movies either. No, uh, yeah, to to find all those sensitivities and and ward them off or warn people or just say, uh, okay, fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. they, they did that, uh, table read of fast times at Ridgemont high. Yeah. And the, there was that Dane cook who somehow got made, got made all that possible. I don't know how Dane <laughs> cook did, but, uh, he, he says like, look, this is from 1982. So, None of us here believe a lot of the things that went on back in this 1982. We're just doing the script, you know, just bear with us and everything. And you and Morgan Freeman's doing all the like narration for the for the like all the the script uh, you know details and everything. It's great. But sometimes he's reading it and he's like, "Oh, mercy." You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, "Yeah, right? <laughs> like you would never do this now." <laughs> Uh, but um, there's no need to erase 
You don't need to no. embrace. You just need to come into things. And again, we, we're all the same. We we don't want to hate anything. And we also don't want to, you know, don't want to have to suddenly say, okay, you can't watch the following 872 movies. Right. No. <laughs> right. Did, you, did you perchance see uh, Jimmy Fallon's uh, send up <laughs> of uh, introducing a Turner Classic movie showing? No. It's no. so, I, I'll send it to you. I'll send it. Okay. To you. It is. <laughs> So it's perfect. so funny. <laughs> so funny. It's, 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 is he is he taking off on Mankiewicz or like Robert Osborne or? It's less about that. On. It's more about just the having to introduce things and excuse things. Oh, well, oh, that. okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my god! Yeah, I definitely want to watch that. It's hilarious. All right, everybody, it's time to talk about better help. Better help. I am uh, uh, jonesing because I missed a week. And uh, of therapy, of my counseling uh, with my wonderful counselor. And there's been a lot going on uh, just, you know, personally and everything and in the world. And I've, I've got this fear. Jeremy, I want your advice on this. I okay. have this fear that I'm going to be uh, so logoreic, like it's just going to be spilling out of me to uh to talk too much about not substantive uh things that i may submarine my own therapy session do you know what i mean it's it's I what do. i used to call like social seclusion disorder where like you you've got so many things that you want to say bottled up and you just spew it and there's no time to really dive into anything now this is why it's important to try not to miss a week if you are able uh right. But this is common, I think. It is for me, it is for a couple people I know who do therapy, that there comes a session every month or so where it's just a catch-you-up-on-my-life session. Here's what I've been going through. Because your therapist needs to know that stuff in order to help you. If you don't say, all right, well, I did this, I got out on the golf course and I had a good time, but also I didn't do this and didn't do this and this happened, then your therapist is not fully equipped to help you the best they can. And sometimes you just have to use the time to, to inform them. Uh, I think that's normal. I think that's fine. I don't even think that's a waste or a submarining. Of, I think that's an important part of therapy. Okay. It's it's almost like if you see an old friend and, and they're like, what have you been up to? Yeah. I hate that question so much because it's like, I haven't seen you in like 18 months, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot I've been doing. Had and a really good say, burger like, in February. Yeah, I, I always say the most random stuff. Like, really nothing. I mean, like, uh, we, we we took a trip down to like the lake or something like that. And it, like into the conversation and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I went to France. <laughs> and like, whoa, really? And like, uh, we're having another baby. We're not having another baby. But like, uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But uh you know, if you do have those little pockets where you really want to get something out and say, like, yeah, I had a really rough day the other day, uh, something that you'll hear later on with uh, with the Maltons uh, talking about certain times where you got to let it out and that kind of thing. Uh, you can actually post on your message board at any time. You can text, call, all that stuff at any time and get that out. And then you can explore that in your actual counseling session. I, I'm I'm saying this because I haven't been utilizing that enough, and I I need to. But that's a feature on BetterHelp, and it's it's not it's not necessarily a feature that you could have 
uh, with a traditional counseling uh, situation, unless you just want to text them or something like that, if they're open to it. On BetterHelp, it, it sits on a platform and they're able to access it uh, when they can and you're able to upload it whenever you can. And that's a that's a very cool feature, man. I like I've got a, I've got a lot of shit going on. Yeah, and I think it's important to it's important to remember that therapy is more like my anxiety medicine than it is Tylenol, right? So if I'm going along through life and I get a headache, I take Tylenol. It's a one time thing. It goes into my body and it I forget which is which. It either fools my sensors or it goes to the source of the pain. And I think it's fools my sensors. Anyway, pain goes away. I'm done. I don't take Tylenol every four hours to prevent headaches. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I take yeah. my anxiety medicine every day because it is trying to keep the level of medicine in my body, in my bloodstream, at a consistent level. Uh, and that is where I am less anxious. So if I miss a day of my anxiety medicine... My level goes down because I didn't get that day's dose to keep me at the right place, and I start getting more anxious. If I miss two days, it's even worse. Therapy is a lot more like that than it is a Tylenol. Don't go into therapy thinking, I'm going to do this one session, and I'm going to feel all better. Yep. And don't go into it thinking, I'm going to do one session, and then maybe in six months I'll do another session. Uh, it, it needs to be a consistent thing for so, so many reasons. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that you skipped one to give us the opportunity to uh, pound on you and tell everybody else not to be like you. Well, no, I mean, and, and you can when you've been doing it for a while, you can tell. It's like if if you if you work out a lot, God bless you. I wish I did. If you work out a lot and you miss leg day. <laughs> Or yep. something like that. <laughs> you notice it. You're like, oh, you know, the next time you do it, like it's a little more sore. Uh, you know, the, you start to notice it more. And and I'm glad I'm, I've gotten to that place to where uh, I, I have that maintenance uh, level. And I can't wait to get back into it. BetterHelp has, uh, it's so great. It's got a scheduling section on your, your homepage. It's got a message section. It's got you know, communications, it's got worksheets that you may do and you can access at your leisure. You can do text, you can do talk, you can do chat. Like it, it's, it's really got everything there. Uh, you just sign up at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash Sincast. And you get 10% off your first month, man. Ain't nothing to sneeze at. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Sincast. Do your thing. If you're having issues like a lot of us are, with sadness, depression, anxiety, nervousness, worriness, worriness, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is your thing, man. Betterhelp.com slash Zencast. Online counseling. Licensed uh, uh, counselors that are available to get matched to you within 24 to 48 hours of signing up. It's glorious. It's beautiful. I'm glad it's in my life and can't recommend it enough. Do it. I will say you, you talked about um, your sponsor. Mm -hmm. And I would say uh, that mental health right now, mental health should always be something that we're thinking about and aware of. And I do appreciate that people are trying to get that stigma out of people's heads, uh, you know, that you can't talk about certain things or you shouldn't talk about certain things. Uh, it's crazy, but yesterday, I guess, is it's almost four years since one of my really dear friends passed away, accidental mm -hmm. overdose, uh, Max, mm -hmm. in almost four years. Uh, you know, and, and I, his parents uh, have a Facebook uh, sort of remembrance set up and 
every month his dad posts and they're, they're still uh, a mess. I don't think they ever, you know, you don't really ever get over it. It's like with anything mm. things become easier with time. It's not so much easier. You just learn to live with it. Mm. Um, you know, and my dad has had, has had friends through the years who have had issues with whether it was substances or they just weren't well. Uh, one of your really good friends for many, many, many years had issues and it was very hard. Um, but now more than ever, your mental health is so important. And it's really important to cry or scream or do whatever it is you need to do. Reach out to somebody. Uh, you know, people really, if anybody judges you for it, then honest to God, that's on them. Um, it says nothing about you and everything about that person. Um, mm-hmm. We have all at different points in this quarantine, uh, you know, come to each other and just sort of feeling fed up. Mm-hmm. And I want my life back. I want the world back, things like that, very normal. I said to my dad the other day, this is the longest probably in his entire life he's been out of a movie theater. And, wow, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really tough. And, um, and, and film festivals, you know, everything that we normally look forward to isn't happening. Right. So, and I was reading something about that today uh, where it was saying that part of why we're feeling the way we are is that we have nothing to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and normally for us, it, right now we'd be at Fantastic Fest. Yep. Uh, earlier in the month, we'd be in Telluride, uh, and and it's not just about the movies. It's something you've been going to Telluride for forty how many years? Forty years. Forty years. Wow. Not been doing Telluride. Uh, so you know, it's just I say this a lot on on especially on Instagram because you can do stories, so it's easier to talk to people. But I the other day I talked about the idea of a good cry mm-hmm. uh, and something that my dad talks about. You're allowed to have a good cry. You watched something last Sunday and had you and mom both in tears. I can't remember what it was. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, we watched uh, John Ford's the last hurrah. Okay. Oh, Spencer Tracy uh, and, uh, and the entire uh, cast uh, from John Ford's Rolodex. Uh, and uh it ends on a very it's a sentimental film uh from the get-go but it ends on a very sentimental note but with but with such delicacy and i would almost call it poet poetic uh the, the the finale and um it just had us blubbering and mm-hmm. it, it's 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 about uh, remembrance of another time, remembrance of another way of life, of not necessarily a better way of life, but a different way of life. Uh, Tracy plays the the uh, the mayor of Boston, the longtime mayor of Boston, who's an old school uh, political machine type politician, and uh, his day has passed, and uh, so that's the setup of the film. And the entire cast is is our veterans, Pat O'Brien and uh, Basil Rathbone and John Carradine and Ricardo Cortez and Edward Brophy and James Gleason, uh, on and on down the line. And if you have a feeling for those people and the era they represent, it's a it's it's a film that will touch you. Mm-hmm. It had it had you crying, and I think that. 
And we've seen it several. We've yeah, seen it, it doesn't before. matter. Right. <laughs> they have you know the ship sinks. Even when you know, you still it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's emotional. And I think that something I've always appreciated. Um, my dad and his friends uh, are all very comfortable about talking about stuff like that. My dad will say with with ease that he cried watching this film or that film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that too is really important. Uh, because it's all right for you to cry. It's all right for a man of any age to release uh, uh, gay, but <laughs> sorry, just teasing. But... <laughs> sorry, guys. Can't That's help. an inappropriate comment that we would usually make. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know. But, uh, but that's all. I, I, I feel like it's a good cry. And the other day I had that, you know, we were talking about at the beginning that with this smoke and everything else, it was enough that I, was quarantined and away from my friends, you know, and, and life. It's another thing though, when I couldn't even go outside mm, Yeah, and I absolutely hit a wall last, last Friday, I was just sitting in bed. I was like, I just, oh, I just want, I miss my friends. And I, just want to go <laughs> and I, and I let it out and then I went, all right. And so I picked up my phone and I said to Instagram, you guys, it's okay. And you need to do it. And I need to do it. And if we don't do it, it doesn't end well. <laughs> you have to let go you need to let it out you need to do something because uh right now especially we're all grieving for our lives um but just in general even when this is over it's it's important to find someone you can speak to if it's through this uh this, it's an app mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's mm-hmm. better help that we uh that we use that i use and, personally yeah well, and that's it. Is if if it's that, if it helps that it's someone anonymous, you know, if if it's too hard to speak to someone that you know personally, reach out to somebody else. And if that is how you uh, relax and can handle it, then by all means do that. Uh, and if you do feel like you can talk to your friends, just release it, let it out, and and take good care of yourself. Because at the end of all of this craziness this year, um, you know we have to come out the other side and I don't want anybody else to feel like a puddle of emotions. <laughs> uh, about it. God bless you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. yeah that was good yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'd uh, once again, like to thank you guys for, for coming on. This has been great. Thank you so much. It's fun to hang out with you guys. And always fun. Always a treat. Yeah. Oh, well, listen to the Malton on movies podcast. They've got excellent stuff on there. I just listened to the Jay Parishel interview, which was not only, and I, I heard this when you guys interviewed Bill Hader. These are funny, funny individuals, really good actors, but also real film nerds, like really, you know, know their stuff. And those are the ones that I really, really enjoy listening to you guys. Well, we, we just posted our Matthew Modine interview. And at the beginning, and for a little while, we talked about the fact that he grew up in and around drive-in movies. His dad was a drive-in manager. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was an owner. Yeah. Uh, and, and so Matthew grew up in all of these different, they had to keep moving around because different ones would close. And so he grew up cleaning up the mess. And he said uh, he learned a lot of, he got a sexual education from the back row of yeah. cars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> anyway, it, it, we had a lot of fun talking about the good old, bad old days of driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
All right, so guys, do you have any uh, recommends or warns? Okay, when we recorded the uh, original uh, second part of our Keanu career retrospective, which we lost to the, to the ether. True. Um, uh, I, I recommend half of the Ben Affleck uh, drunk alcoholic coach uh, basketball <laughs> movie. Yeah, yeah. Because I had seen the first hour twice and had turned it off both times. Uh, <clears throat> I have now seen the whole movie. Um, ah. And I'm going to wreck a warn, but the wrecka is very thin. This is a wrecka if you're just in the mood for a very paint-by-numbers sports movie and you want to see one that you haven't seen instead of watching Remember the Titans for the 12th time. It's called <laughs> The Way Back? The Way Back. Not to be confused with The Way Way Back. Right. <clears throat> um, Ben Affleck was a great basketball player in high school. He was? Well, in the, in the movie at this uh, Catholic school, Sorry. some kind of something happened. I forget why. He he went to college and sucked, I think, and tanked his <laughs> draft chances. So he, he never touched a basketball again. Yeah. But the movie starts with him being asked by the priest of uh, that runs the school now to come be the basketball coach because now he's in his 40s and they need a basketball coach. And... Uh, <clears throat> Ben Affleck doesn't really want to do it, but he's an alcoholic. Everybody in his life knows it, and he needs something to keep him busy. And I'm not – the character is – I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not trying to play no, that no, 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 with you, Ben Affleck yeah. jokes here. Um, but uh, so he's, you know, he's doing all of the alcoholic Miles Teller things. My, Miles Teller's not an alcoholic, but he played that one in that movie I talked about. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's spectacular. <yeah. laughs> right. So he's pouring We're vodka. We're calling everybody alcohol. Yeah, I am. He's pouring vodka into coffee m- mugs. He's uh, They find beer cans in the trash. Um, but eventually uh, he pulls enough together to start bonding with his team and then the, the students start coming to watch the games. And of course there's the team's a bunch of fuck-ups and they've only won one game and of course, by the end, they make the playoffs because this is how it works. Uh, he gets mad at a kid who comes in five minutes late for practice and kicks him off the team. Yeah, uh, Every single trope that you could think of shows up to practice completely plastered and says he had a power outage. Uh, Dennis Hopper in Hoosiers. Well, I was about yeah, to say, yeah, it totally sounds like Dennis Gene Hoppers. Hackman and Dennis Hopper in one character. It really is. And uh, the, the, I need to look up the guy uh, who plays the assistant coach. And I think he's a teacher at the school, and he suspects um, <clears throat> the alcoholism. Is it Al Madrigal? Probably. I don't. I, oh, it, wow! I recognized his face, but not his name. Dan. Yeah, Al Madrigal. He's the best thing about this movie. He mm-hmm. is absolutely delightful. Um, ben Affleck's character is married. Was married to. The gal from Blind Spotting who played Val. She's a great actress. She's really? gorgeous. Um, we find out halfway through the movie that it's not just their divorce that got him to be an alcoholic. Their son died of cancer, which I'm not making fun of, but from a writing standpoint, I feel like I've seen this before. <laughs> His final bender that gets him fired is their friend's call. And that you find out the reason they're even friends is their kids had cancer together. And the friend's, oh. kid, the friend's kid survived, but Ben Affleck's kid did not. Mm. And standing in the hospital watching the friend's kid get sick again, he loses it and goes off on a bender, picks up a woman, goes drunk driving. 
there's literally nothing in this movie you haven't seen before in about a dozen other movies. And yet, mm. you'll probably have a decent time if you watch it, just like any old sports movie where the coach learns a lesson. Here's what I'm frustrated by. The end of the movie is his bender, and he shows up to practice before the playoff game and gets fired. Gets fired basically uh, the next day by the priest. Um, <clears throat> and he goes to watch the playoff game and, like, feels a sense of pride at the team and all the fans cheering. And then he goes outside and picks up a basketball and starts shooting again. And this is where the movie ends. Oh. And I'm like, he hasn't beaten alcoholism at all. You mm. made that the whole focus of your trailer, your marketing campaign, and the goddamn plot. But what you're really fixing is that he's going to shoot hoops again. Mm. He's decided not to – he had shut off this part of his life. And now he's opening it. That's great. He's opening it back up. But you, that wasn't what the whole movie was. The whole movie was about him literally driving drunk into trees and stumbling home. And anyway, That's I was very frustrated by this movie. I am. I, I, I was proud of my former self for stopping halfway through twice. Um, but I can't. So this is the warniest wreck of war that you've. I'm ever. telling you, there's nothing here that you haven't seen before. But you still are probably going to have a decent time. This guy, Gavin O'Connor, did the count it. And he did Warrior, which I think we all love, right? Yes, and even um, the accountant, I think we like. Yeah, yeah. Pride and Glory was I. I wasn't a big fan of Miracle. He did Miracle as well. Oh wow! Um, so I love that movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, weird. Like so, he, he took the he took the dark turn at the end. It just <sighs> well, it's not a dark turn though. It's saying it's a happy turn almost. Right? That's my problem, right? Like I wish that it would have ended with him. I wish it would have ended after he was coming out of recovery mm, and he mm. was well and he picked up a basketball again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's just not the case. And so maybe what they did was they had to edit it too much uh, and it ended up coming off that way. But when it ended that way, I was like, well, what the fuck? He's still an alcoholic. Somebody's mm -hmm. still going to have to drive his ass home tonight from the bar. Right. This is not a victory. Yeah. He's also <laughs> not the coach anymore. He got fired. Yeah. Like, it was a very weird ending. But yeah. Uh, there you go, wreck of war. Well, Sorry, yeah, it was so like the ending of that movie and the it, like the like all the stuff that happened to him and the being able to shoot baskets again. I mean, yeah. what does he do with that now? He, now that he's forty five <laughs> years old, exactly. how does he? You know, what is he, he going to join the NBA? Yeah, all he has to do is go coach at a non Catholic high school where they don't yeah. forbid drinking, and he'll be fine. Yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah, anyway. Catholics encourage drinking. They do. They do. They do. Well, now that this was said, oh, no, wait, no, this. No, they've always encouraged drinking. <laughs> well, not this one. This one has a very strict no drinking policy. Uh, that's a that's that's a weird Catholic school. I would. I feel know. like I've seen a million things in the past uh, few weeks, but uh, one uh, series I watched on Netflix. Uh, it's a you know white documentary about um, old video games it's called High Score. Oh, um, I, I was interested in this. Yeah, um, the 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 beginnings with Atari twenty six hundred. Basically, that's where it starts. It doesn't go like way back. Like it it, it will a little bit, but like, um, but but mainly it starts with Atari twenty six hundred, leading into the NES, leading into the sixteen bit wars that happened in the early nineties. And I think there's only five episodes. And and I actually by the end of the the series i really kind of just wanted more i wanted more in-depth things but um 
this uh, this di- this uh, series is going to earn a lot of points for for uh, finding a lot of people who are probably who were definitely underrepresented in the uh, into in video games back in the day. Talking about uh, w- they, were, they were talking about one guy who was I think he was working in Silicon Valley and he was like maybe like one of very few black people who were working in Silicon Valley in the 70s who came up with the sort of the design of sticking a cartridge into a machine and playing games. Hmm. But he's very unsung. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and it's not all about who was underrepresented and everything, but that is a thread that goes throughout all of the episodes. So it's very interesting from that standpoint. Of of course, it's going to talk to you about Atari 2600 and how the video game crash affected it. The, uh, the ET, uh, game, which is, uh, infamous and everything that I played when I was a kid and did not realize what a terrible game it was because I was, because <laughs> I was six years old and I loved ET and all that. Um, the reasoning behind the video game crash, uh, uh the discussion behind street fighter two was amazing. The, the, the Sega Genesis and how they had pl- they, uh, plan to attack Nintendo during the 16 bit stuff. Uh, this was all now that's where, that's where I first started playing home consoles was during the 16 bit, uh, uh, area. But the, but the just, it, it's fun, especially I think if you're our age to go back into those, into that era and sort of like relive a lot of that, uh, that stuff. They talk about some of the people who were in video game competitions back in the day. There's one way back in 1980. Uh, can't even believe like there were video game competitions back then. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but just, it's really fun. I think if you like video games in general, or if you've ever played games, uh, the high score documentary on Netflix is fun to watch. Awesome. I'm all over that, baby. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, stuff. I got done with it in no time. It's five like or six that. episodes. Feels like that would double feature well with uh, King of Kong, or mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And if it was a, if there was a like a tangential recommend, if you haven't seen King of Kong, uh, definitely watch that. That mm-hmm. that shit's just downright unbelievable. So uh, good. Yeah, I, and and you know, and I've read. I mean, there's, there's like been all sorts of changes since that documentary came out oh yeah it's gone back and forth and back and yeah, forth. yeah. <laughs> like it's not and it's not just uh it's not uh weeby it's not just weeby who was the i mean weeby at the end of king of kong he's like got the record and everything but mm-hmm. then you go back and look at like who set records since this documentary come out there's like some other dude that's in here billy mitchell's still in the in the game yeah yeah, yeah. and then they're all unverified scores too and it's like <laughs> wow they haven't really he says he did, but like yeah. nobody's really verified it. And there's all sorts of like weird politics behind everything. But yeah, King of Kong is is fantastic. So yeah, watch High Score, watch King of Kong. Those are great uh, uh, time wasters for sure. Yeah. Uh, Chris and Jonathan already did a mini pod on this movie, so I'm going to keep it brief. But it, this, this movie is it blew my mind a little bit. Uh, it's The Five Bloods uh, oh, yeah. on, on Netflix. Uh, that I I watched because I was putting together um, kind of a rudimentary best movies that I've seen this year because I knew we it would come up in uh, conversation with the Maltons 
And, man, you, you look at the movies. I've seen a lot of movies this year. But, like, it's hard for me to put, like, a really solid top five. And I've heard good things about The Five Bloods. Uh, Spike Lee seems to have had a uh, late career renaissance, uh, starting with Inside Man and going to Black Klansman. And I've heard great things about Delroy Lendo's performance in this. Uh, it's awesome. I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I don't know where you guys fell on it, uh, Chris, because I just listened to the, the first part. Well, um, Jonathan, Jonathan's where you were at, and I am just below where you're at. Um, uh, not to get too deep into it, but I, I just thought the movie needed a little bit more focus on one or the other things. That There's there's two big things going on in Defy mm-hmm, Bullets, mm-hmm. and I wish it was one or the other. And, uh, it, because I, I think like it, as soon as you are getting interested in the history that he's telling, he goes back to the treasure on the Sierra Madre stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just when you're getting interesting in the treasure and the Sierra Madre stuff, he starts infusing more history stuff in it. And it's like, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll reconcile those two different things that are competing with each other in this movie. Uh, my first blush was focus a little bit more on one or the other, but I understand that. And I completely agree with it. I was fine with it. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, because it's weird to compare these, but if you guys ever saw triple frontier with Benny Affleck and fucking, uh, Pedro Pascal or whoever it was, I didn't see, uh, this is, uh, this is the good version of that. Uh, and it, 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 it takes turns that you don't normally see in it's a war movie. It's a treasure of the Sierra Madre uh, type of thing. It's a very in-depth um, uh, study of PTSD, especially mm. in, in Delroy Lindo's character. Mm-hmm. It's a family thing. Boy, so, somebody who almost steals this movie is Jonathan Majors, who plays Delroy Lindo's son, mm-hmm. who, if you've watched Lovecraft Country, that's the main guy in that. Oh, uh, nice. And uh, so... Paul Walter Hauser is in this. He, yeah. He's he's fantastic in that too. In fact, two of the uh, white, uh, the two of the Klansmen from Black Klansmen are in there. Yeah, yeah, the evil, evil. No, they're all evil, but the 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 super evil right. guys in that. Uh, Melanie Thierry is uh, is playing a French woman in this that I think uh, adds a lot of uh, layer to this. It's a great action movie. I think it's a very good war movie. the The war footage is is shot stunningly i think and it's something that i don't think spike lee has done before he may be trying to be like oh i gotta get my war movie out of the way uh but it's it's spectacular but it also still has the historical aspects uh cut in footage from real events um and even the same tracking shot at the end that they used at the end of black klansman is in this uh, in a different mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a very Spike Lee film, uh, but it's also unlike the, anything that he's done before. It's a touch too long. Like you said, it is a little too unfocused, but man, it's, it just hit me right in, in the, in the jollies. Yeah. And I haven't even mentioned that Chadwick Boseman is yeah. in this as a terrific character, terrific character. Um, and, yeah, and uh, it's not spoiling too much to say that that he's one of the he's the guy who was leading the charge during the war, who right. dies. Uh, yeah, and uh, so every time they go back 
to the war stuff, he's the guy who's in, he's their sergeant or whatever. He, yeah, and and he is uh, they they literally. I mean, this has been fifty years later, or so fifty yeah fifty years later, or so and uh, they worship him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they he he taught them all about black history. He says it, black history before it became cool to know about. Uh, and, uh, he's, he's terrific in this movie. And as a liner note, uh, Jean Renault yeah. is playing a good old French evil villain. Yes, he nice. is. Movie. Nice. And I love that shit. I want him in more shit playing the evil French villain. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, I miss uh, that guy. He's, he looks a little different these days, but, uh, don't we all, by the way, um, you, yeah, you said, uh, you know, Jonathan majors almost steals it. There's a reason why he doesn't outright steal it. And that's because Delroy Lindo is so awesome in this. There's a I sequence. There's a sequence in here. Now he plays a, a, a guy that you'll recognize a guy that will fly off the handle at a moment's notice, but there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sequence in this that is genuinely terrifying that's just him, an ISO shot of him uh, walking through the jungle. Yeah. Uh, that will remind you of Tyler Durden's monologue in uh, Fight Club. It'll remind you of just, you know, a little bit of natural born killers. Like, just there was a lot of evocative imagery of focusing on this ISO shot. He's not even looking directly at the camera, but almost. Where you mm-hmm. feel like he's staring into your soul, and it's he's definitely talking at the audience, but it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it's incredible. But like the whole way through, I mean, I I don't know how the Oscars are going to be, uh, but yeah. there there are a few performances that could actually reach that one uh, that I have seen this year. Uh, by the way, for you Wire fans, Clark Peters is in this. Mm. Um, Isaiah, is Isaiah Whitlock, yeah. Uh, I, I was asking uh, Jonathan during the mini pod, do you know of another person of Isaiah Whitlock's stature, which is character actor, very few people know his name, who have a catchphrase? And he she, has one. She, does he say it in the five bloods? He, he does. does. He does. <laughs> he does. I, just, I mean, I really don't want to start a whole thing here, but I fucking hate that. Really? I love it. He does it. He does it in every movie. Everything that well, he's not in. every movie. He doesn't he do. It in, he does he it in Twenty Fifth Hour. He does it in Twenty Fifth Hour. He did it in The Wire a bunch. He did it in the last. Wasn't he in Black Klansman? Mm, I don't. I'm going to find the movie that. I'm thinking of. He did it in another movie recently. He's probably where I done it thinking, again, but he didn't do it in uh, that. Uh, what's that? He is uh, in Black Klansman. What's that movie with Ed Helms where they're salesmen? It's John C. Riley and oh, Cedar Rapids. Cedar, Cedar Rapids. Rapids. He doesn't do it in that, although he does mention The Wire a couple of times. Um, but I yeah. Yeah, agree to disagree. I just uh, why? What's the, I feel like I've never seen The Wire, like, so I don't really. It didn't bother me at all. Wouldn't just, this be like the the Rock turning to you at any point in any of his movies and asking if you can smell what he's cooking? Wouldn't that like be dumb? No, that, I mean. <laughs> It's a fun... Arnold always asked about getting to the chopper because it was in the script, not because Arnold had a catchphrase about he's, the chopper. He said, I'll be back. That was his. But he Short... said that in one... Well, but he didn't say it... All right, we'll pin this. We'll talk about it another time. <laughs> yeah, we'll really? talk about it another time, but I think it's fine. That's fine. That's this fine. It's the obviously... entire podcast. Yeah, it's exactly. It's obviously fine. Okay, we're going fine. to talk about Isaiah Whitlock's shit. 
Can we can we get to a, come to a conclusion about it? Uh, anyway, anyway, this is not um, a perfect movie, but it is very very good. Jeremy, I think you would dig it the most. Well, uh, I've, already, I've already he's already killed me on it now, man. What the I don't want to. It's gonna pull me right out. See of if movie. I had it known slipped, it slipped in there very. Uh, if I had known Naturally. that you felt that way about his his thing, then I would not have brought it up. I feel like it has to be Isaiah. Uh, it's your agent. They want to cast you in this movie, and he's like, "Are they going to let me do the long shit?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "All right, I'm in." <laughs> the long shit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like every contract has. He needs to say a long shit at one point. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> An actor, a character can have a catchphrase. An actor doesn't need a catchphrase. <laughs> Yeah, uh, okay. it's a good movie. It's very good, very good. All right. Well, I guess just forward through the lobby scene at the beginning of the movie, and then <laughs> <laughs> that's going to do it for this week. Uh, keep going to Sincast presented by Cinema Sins on Facebook. We're also on Cinema Sins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter, uh, Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to our Reddit page and find our link on the right side, or you can fa- go to Facebook and private message me. We're also on uh, SoundCloud. And, um, yeah, we'd like to thank, uh, Leonard Malton and Jesse Malton for, yeah. uh, uh, being interviewed today. Always a wealth of information. Always fun. Woo-hoo. Always great to see them. Um, but that's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Barrett Shear. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasends.com. What would be crazy is if every time you logged out and came back in, everything's different inside of your room. <laughs> you painted the walls. <laughs> yeah. You changed all the things. Yeah, like, whoa, what happened? Like five years of things happened. Right, what do you mean? Beautiful. Yeah. Dad, what's wrong? Leonard has disappeared. I know I know you've missed us as much as we've missed you. Well thank God for the internet because then at least we can all pretend like we see each other. That's the nice thing. I watch you guys post. The first text I got from you, Jesse, was um a few years ago after we had done our interviews in Nashville. And your your episode uh, or you guys episode on uh, Werner Herzog had just posted and I was on vacation in the mountains and I was sitting out looking at this beautiful Blue Ridge mountain landscape and listening to Werner Herzog talk to you guys about oh, yeah. the, the spear that has the poison tip on it and everything. <laughs> oh my goodness. For continually pointing out how beautiful it is where you are. And every, wow. every time, every time Barrett's like, "Oh yeah, we're just going back to the Blue Mountains. It's no big deal." <laughs> I'm, I'm here living in smoke. You open up your app, you know, on your iPhone, and it, it, it literally it has decided to go the color of the sky. Which oh is my god! About it's that, like, no, no, this gray looks too hopeful. I only <laughs> want to look like death and destruction, and they pull it up. And then as a description for the weather, it either it either says unhealthy air quality or it just says smoke. And you and Leonard are, are doing okay too. You guys haven't killed each other. No. We're used to being stuck together, so we're fine. Mm. <laughs> as a family, there you go. we're used to being together a lot, so we're okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah.
You said it. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And we're talking about other stuff, but initially he's just sort of touching up stuff that's older, which makes me very happy because I like everything to be... You may not know this about me. I like things to be really bright. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) And and of course, uh, Leonard went with you, and is is it a mom tattoo on the the no, arm no, no. I always tell people he has a full Casablanca back piece <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and people believe you I bet 100% they believe you, <laughs> <laughs> no, so we, were in, we interviewed David Arquette and David Arquette said to my dad if you were going to get a tattoo what would it be and my dad was like oh because oh, uh, he's never thought about it and you finally decided Maltese Falcon he'd get a Maltese Falcon Ooh. Ah, Ooh. Nice. Oh, very cool the uh, thing that I think he's trying to say is that it's the story as told through her uh, more than it is about her because it is definitely not about her. Yeah. 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 It, it's definitely not about her. Like there's a couple of segments. It's that Hamilton is a, is about her as much as Ty's story in Clueless is about Ty. I mean, you know, it's... It's, <laughs> it's about Wallace Shawn. Yeah, it's about Wallace Shawn. <laughs> the part that he... The phrasing that I that I was bothered by was there's a reason they just called it Hamilton and not Alexander yeah. Hamilton. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's still his legacy. She is the lens through which... Like, she is the, the spokesperson for... And that may be how he's finally massaged it back because I think he realizes how silly it is to say that that whole play is about Eliza Hamilton. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I believe when he said that the first time, it's about her. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. no, like, it's, it's the last goddamn four minutes of the thing where she's like, I insert myself back in the narrative. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, at the orphanage. Yeah. And, uh, but having said that, uh, 